Hi everyone, here we are for episode 13 of Awoke Blokes with myself, Michael Ray. And Reham on this amazing topic. Tell us, Michael. Today, we're going to be talking about narcissism. And I originally thought that was where Jesus was from, but no, that was Nazareth. So right. I, I, I do get confused. But narcissism, it's thrown around a lot today, but according to the textbooks or the psychological um, clinical diagnosis, narciss narcissistic personality disorder is a fairly small percentage of mental or behavioural disorders, only affecting as little as 1% or 2% of the population in America. However, Reham, what were you going to say about tendencies? So not everybody is diagnosed as a narcissist because it takes time for a therapist to sit down and actually assess over a period of time to see the patterns and the habits and the mannerisms that a person has in order to define them under the DSM, whatever number it is now, uh, as a narcissist under the narcissistic personality disorder. However, and the good thing here is many of us and it's good in, in a way, and I'll explain. Many of us have narcissistic tendencies because of society, because of upbringing, because of role models that we've had that we've emulated. Now, in the early part of our lives, we mirror everything that we see. And that's how we learn. And Michael, if you want to add in being that this is your forte, tell us a little bit more about how we may adopt characteristics unknowingly. Uh, as children, what's called our sense of self or our, our sauce is largely influenced by culture and family and uh, close familial ties. So what they see, they mimic, and what they're um, applauded for or what is reinforced give them their sense of self. So every time we say to our child, gee, you're so clever at X, Y, or Z, or you're such a great pianist or you're such so good at reading all of these things start to form a child's sense of self so they start to absorb it and believe it so we've got to be very careful if we're using rewards and, and punishment so if we're ever saying to a child again we need to reinforce that separate the doer from the deed so whenever there's a um a behavior that's not acceptable we need to reinforce that the connection and the love is still there. So, you know, I always go with, hey, you're such a great kid and, you know, I couldn't be luckier and all the rest of it. But when you do that, can you understand how that that causes problems? Because we've got to give them reasons and a, a proper understanding to do it. A lot of us worry that our, child's are gonna, our children are going to turn up to be some sort of psychopathic axe murderer that's on the news for, you know, torturing small animals one day because, you know, they might tell a, a fib or deny culpability or anything like that. And it's completely normal, but we need to ask what role are we paying, playing in it? So if, if they're fudging the truth or fibbing or a white lie, and then they're hearing us saying to somebody, oh, you know, we can't make it because I've, I've got a work commitment. And then they're seeing us saying to our partner, gee, I got out of that one. They wanted us to do this. So I told them that. And then you're wondering, 
why your child denies eating the last chocolate cookie and uh, things like that. Or if they're fibbing to avoid punishment, then you've got to, again, put it back on you. Well, I've, I've reinforced that. If you're setting them up to uh, tell a lie, setting them up to fail, when you know what's happened, it's the opposite to a solicitor. You should never ask a question that you already know the answer to. You know, you help them tell the truth. You know, I, I noticed you've eaten the last cookie when I asked you not to. I'm trying to understand why you would do that. Or, you know, I see you've eaten the, la you've eaten the last cookie after I asked you not to, and I, you must have been really hungry. You know, and give them the chance to say, yes, I didn't. Then you need to reinforce that a little bit with, look, I'm really pleased and proud that you've told the truth but we need to understand why I didn't want you to eat the cookie. It's because now we have dinner and the dinner is the good stuff. And the natural consequence now will be there's no dessert. And I want to sit there and have a cookie with you after dinner together as dessert. Can you see how I might be disappointed? So then you're starting to teach them a little bit of empathy. Exactly. Now with narcissism, it can have its roots in these things where children don't feel that they're valued, where they're unnoticed, where they don't have that connection. So they manufacture it in their own mind. So they, because we all have that need for connection and belonging and to be seen as worthy and admirable. And that's where the true narcissistic personality disorder lies is they have a grandiose nearly fantasy larger world. than life it's yeah. really larger than life image yeah. of their own self so, yeah liking your appearance or having really healthy self-esteem or being concerned about how you look a lot of the times you know they're branded as a narcissist and they're not they're not the problematic um part of the narcissistic disorder caring about how you look can just come down to pride but telling people that you look better than them, believing that you're superior because of your looks, that is where we start to go into the problem. Don't you think, Rayhan? I agree. I would take it a step further. The grandiosity shows up also as utter arrogance and self-assuredness. Now there's confidence and then there's arrogance, as in they're God's gift or you know, the gift to the world. It really gets to that high level where they over-exaggerate the claims that they uh, possess certain special talents and nobody else in the world ever experienced nor could utilize their talents in the same way. It's those concepts that are really telling of narcissistic tendencies. Another one that you brought, or two actually that you brought up, Michael, um, when children sometimes mirror their parents because their parents lie or their parent lies. And so that's another way a child learns some of these concepts in their childhood. And we've talked about honesty and how important it is in relationships, be it interpersonal, be it family uh, or intimate partner, or even coworker and community-based partnerships. The, the most important thing is, is the mirroring is the trigger. And this is what a, a narcissist does beautifully because oftentimes these narcissistic tendencies start in childhood, what happens is they start to use the same, sorry, they continue to use the same 
behaviors of mirroring in order to bring closer the person that they're trying to attach themselves to. So they'll mirror, for example, a partner's behavior to the point where you'll think you're soulmates, to the point where you think that they are too good to be true, that everything that they're telling you is exactly what you're wanting to hear, but what you'll come to realize, it's manipulation at the end of the day. It's them mirroring to you what you want to hear in order for them to get in your good graces. And that's what's scary. And that's the hook. And the other point that you brought up was they're pathological liars because they're so ashamed of who they are and who they've become that they create masks upon masks, layers of masks in order to be able to function, quote unquote, in society to be accepted, quote unquote, in society without standing out. And there are nearly 10 or more types of narcissists out there. So I would strongly recommend looking them up. And Dr. Romani is an amazing uh, expert on this on YouTube. If you ever want to check her out, she's out in, in the States. And she's the leading expert on narcissistic personality disorder, as well as narcissistic tendencies, among many others. But she really comes highly recommended. And um, the thing around pathological liars, it's, it's the need uh, as a narcissistic tendency, it's the need to cover up because you're afraid. It's not even insecurity. It's complete fear, utter fear that somebody will find you out. It's almost like imposter syndrome, but on steroids. It's always looking over your shoulder and thinking, are they going to figure me out? Are they going to really see who I am? This really you know, scared boy inside or girl inside. Let me bring up another point. The majority of narcissists with strong narcissistic tendencies as the research has shown are mostly found in men than in women. We're not gonna get into why. That's a scholarly uh, article uh, that you can I, look I up. Would, I would hazard a guess. Go ahead. With, and, and again, it's just anecdotally Yeah. because men are judged a lot more on their position, power, and possessions. So their success, a, a man, even we see it a lot with sugar daddies. Yeah. I'm, I'm old and I'm not that attractive. And, but look, I've got all of this money and I'm still able to attract young women. So I think that's why um, men are doing it because they see their worth in their possessions and their achievements more than on their, their, you know, who they are and would that's, be my an anecdotal. And, and that's very close to the truth. Absolutely. Um, and it's worth looking up guys. So definitely look it up because it's a really interesting reason or a, a bunch of reasons actually why narcissists turn out to be who they are and why they're mostly men uh, with these, um, with this personality disorder. Another thing that I want to bring up is in childhood, when children are not taught properly how to manage their emotions. And they usually do one of two things, either blame their sibling, if they have one, and fall into victimhood. Um, or they become passive aggressive and they beat up their sibling and then blame their sibling. <laughs> so this is a common 
um, behavior. It's how kids grow and develop boundaries and how they recognize accountability and responsibility. Right, Michael? Just check in because you are yep. our local Warm. expert here, yeah, resident expert. And so with that said, those are two additional ways that narcissistic tendencies can be seen in another human being that you may be interacting with. Imagine, for example, you're at work and your coworker who's on your team says, oh, you know, Bill, you know, did this, this, and this, and I can't believe he did this. He, he screwed me over. He really, you know, pulled the rug from under me in front of that, in front of our, our supervisor the other day in our meeting. And you were sitting in that meeting and that's not what happened. And that becomes this mindset of nothing is ever their fault. Everyone and everything is there to serve them. And if they don't, then, oh, woe is me. And instead of choosing victorhood, as you say oftentimes, Michael, and I'm just quoting you, they're choosing victimhood. And that's what children do. And, and they finger point so that they can avoid blame. And because they are not old enough to take responsibility as children, this can continue to be the way that they cope and, and defend as in a, a defense mechanism, uh, defend external stimuli in their life, threats, as you can call them, um, in their life to threaten their how people can perceive them by also using victimhood because it worked for them when they were young. They found no other reason to change it into adulthood and they just carried it on into adulthood. I think they become stagnated. It's what I call a developmental juvenile trait. Exactly. So, yeah, a lot of the times we can see it happen if a family separation happened or some sort of trauma happened or crisis. So if it happened at six years old, a lot of the times you'll see 40-year-old men or women still behaving with the same adaptive way of dealing with the world as that six-year-old. You know, I'm going to pout, I'm going to stamp my feet till I get my own way or I'm going to shut down or just really juvenile traits. So again, as you were saying, Reham, that, that's where a lot of a lot of our stuff has it, its things because... As parents, we can inspire and motivate with our examples, but if we're manipulating them, our children, once the stimulus or the manipulation ceases, then so does the behaviour that we're trying to elicit with that manipulation. So do this, behave, and I'll give you this. That behaviour will only last as long as they're getting this. Once the reward's taken away, they haven't internalized the behavior or the values that we've wanted them to carry on. So it's the same. We know now that bonuses don't work in a corporate setting. They, they're actually counterproductive. Exactly. Once the bonuses aren't there, they work for the bonus rather than for, you know, eye on the job. So and, and exactly. And for the community culture and for the for the values and the and the and the mission of the organization. Instead, they're working for a task, an outcome, a desired outcome, but it's it's really tunnel visioned. And that's another trait. It's that passive aggressive, irrational, unexplained, tunnel visioned anger that a lot of narcissists uh, express or utilize and or those that have narcissistic tendencies. Um, and this is a red flag. Notice this in, in people that you interact with. And the way to test this is to say no to someone and see how they react. So if you say no to them and they 
give you the silent treatment, which basically means they don't speak to you for an exor exorbitant amount of time. Um, we're not talking about like an hour or two. We're talking about days, potentially weeks. And they'll walk past you as if you don't even exist. That is passive aggressive behavior. Um, they grow cold and distant and they'll talk to you from under their nose. And it's really heartbreaking when you see this in children and then you see this in adults carried over. Um, it's kind of scary, especially in the workplace. Pulling away and not overlooking any of your faults and really being like the judge and jury all at the same time. And that's what gets really uh, you know, damaging because what happens is they get to decide who's right and wrong. They get to decide how other people should show up, should, must, have to, how dare you always and never are always terms, yes, I just used one, always terms of passive aggressive behavior and irrational unexplained anger. When someone starts to lash out at you because they're triggered by something, the red flag there is they're triggered by something. It might not even be you. You just happen to be this scapegoat. So recognize that this is a narcissistic tendency that can show up really quickly. I actually see some narcissistic traits in parenting. Yes. Their children are held to an account because they must appear, I want to appear as a great parent because it's part of the image that's important to me. So if my child is, is poorly behaved, I'm being judged. My image is at hand, you know, it, it's a reflection here. of me as a parent. Exactly. When yeah, it's not so, you know, they, they push their children so hard to behave, appear and perform in certain ways. And the, the backlash that happens at home out of sight, you know, they can appear the most lovable, wonderful parent. And that's what happens with a lot of domestic violence where people go, I can't believe that he was like that. He seemed like such a loving, great family man. Fantastic. It was all a show mm. to build up, you know, his uh, image, his portrayal of the part he was playing. Exactly. And that's what, as you say, that that's what sets these guys off a lot of the times because all of a sudden their image, their world they've created in their own mind all of a sudden something's out of sync and it's not as it should be so it's right you've got to behave like this you should be like this you don't realize how lucky you are to have me because i'm perfect and if you step out of line again and nobody's uh, going to love you nobody's going to see you nobody's going to care for you you are unseen you are unworthy, you are unloved. And those are the concepts. That's the, the passive aggressiveness and the verbal vomit, as I call it, it's verbal abuse, that happens when a narcissist or someone with narcissistic tendencies lashes out with anger. That's also why they isolate a lot as well, because exactly. the risk of you um, talking on your own, not being as he would like you to be, or maybe mentioning something about him that doesn't fit in with the image, that he's done and your friends might get you to think on your own or because deep down and a lot of a lot of people with proper narcissistic personality disorders don't realize that they're insecure they they're bought into their own delusions and they actually believe it but they think that gee your friends are actually beneath our circle or how how I, I appear so I can't have you going with that because it damages my image and they honestly believe 
that they're that. So they try and isolate you a lot out of fear that you may be behaving or, you know, talking about them in a less than favorable light, but they, they want to have full control. Absolutely. And it's that control that's really pivotal here. It's the control of who you see, who you speak to, who you're around, who they're willing to allow you to be around. And for narcissists or narcissists with or people with narcissistic tendencies, they tend to have very superficial relationships with many people. So they they'll show their mask. And, and like you said beautifully, Michael, you know, the, the image that they have so, you know, with great effort created and with any attempt to dissuade or to change or to impact the, the image in society that you've created for them, I'm sorry, that they've created for themselves, that you're trying to break down for them, that's where the anger comes out. So it's not, a, it's not enough that there's isolation. It's not enough that they have super, superficial relationships with others so that they really don't speak about anything in detail. So you're getting to know someone, for example, and, and you don't know if they're a narcissist or not. And you ask, how was your childhood? Oh, it was so bad. It was so bad, you don't wanna hear about it. And then you say, I really do, but I don't wanna talk about it. And that's the end of that conversation. You'll never know where they come from or what made them who they are right now, not as a narcissist or anything, but like as a human being. And then you'll talk to them about like their experiences and it'll be, woe is me, oh, my, my family, you know, isolated me or my ex ostracized me or, and it will be constant blame shifting and constant, you know, I am the martyr in this situation or the victim, depending on if it's a male or female or whatever the situation may be. Pay attention to those red flags because that's what shows up. What shows up is they become so creative and, and, and manipulative and pulling someone in, hooking them to feel like they are their savior, that there is a codependency that is developed so, you know, uh, on a fundamental level that you don't even realize it's happening until it's too late. And then leaving a narcissist or someone with nar strong narcissistic tendencies is a whole nother episode because Thank that you. is very hard. Yeah. And dangerous. Like uh, I call them Easter. I mean, life-altering. Yeah, really. I call them Easter eggs. They got the shiny foil on the outside. You get through that, and then one little crack, and it's just hollow. There's just Absolutely. nothing within these people. I think another trait is they're constantly, uh, as you say, they're um, being victims as well. This has all happened, but they can't stand anyone else being talked about in a positive way. So they're constantly Absolutely. negative. He's not that good. She's not that good. He's he's a joke because of this. She's a joke. If they've got to dominate others by putting them down rather than um, letting their own other people notice, you know yeah. what they've done. That's usually a flag. But I I hear a lot of um, women say to me, I can't believe I keep finding these narcissists. These narcissists are that good that they find the vulnerable. They find the vulnerable so until you realize that you know if your self-esteem is a little bit less than what it should be and these fluctuate as i've said before a lot of the times we have contingent self-esteem you know it's 
I got a great job. Gee, my self-esteem is high. Gee, I lost my job. Gee, my self-esteem is low. We've got to have that unconditional self-esteem because these guys, they're opportunists. And if they see somebody and all of a sudden it's like, wow, this guy is wonderful and he likes me. So suddenly that low self-esteem gets a little boost. And once they've got hold of you, like say they don't want to do it because they have this cognitive dissidence where their whole world will shatter into a million pieces if you actually stood up and took some affirmative action and put some boundaries in place. And um, that's why boundaries are so important to reveal these reveal these guys so early on exactly i'm gonna pay for dinner no i'm i'm not happy on the first date of uncomfortable you know let's go halves no 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 like if if they're unaccepting of your values or dismissive of your values and your boundaries if they're trying to steamroll you um i think the term's called love bombing exactly exactly yep where you know, you meet somebody and all of a sudden you're getting flowers and calls every day and within a, a month or two, it's let's move in together and uh, all the rest of it. And then all of a sudden they completely disappear. And, and that's gaslighting. Uh, a ghost, sorry, ghosting and gaslighting. Ghost. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm so old. I've got to catch up. Oh, with please. You know, <laughs> I, I, when I was, you used to ring people up on the landline and, you know, try and pull the cord around the corner so your mum and dad couldn't hear you talking because you, you couldn't take the phone into your own room. It's, yeah, I remember those days. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, these, these guys, they become uh, dangerous as well. And I think a lot of domestic violence has its, its foundation um, in this. Foundations in some narcissistic traits because suddenly you're a possession, you're a prop in their world. Exactly. How can, how can you leave and make me look like I've failed? How can you, you know, make me seem like less of a less of a fantastic father, husband, partner? Yeah. This could shatter my whole little world, and I will not allow it. And that's when it becomes dangerous because it's either you pay the price or their image suffers. Exactly. And and so your success means nothing. Your success mm. is non-existent. It's all about their success. So if your success in any way as a as a uh, as a mother or as a woman or as a sister or a daughter or a community member or a leader or even an employee, if that gets in the way of their determined, predetermined success they'll squash yours. And that's another huge red flag that will wake up anyone. So pay attention to these points because they're what we call weapons uh, of of narcissism. And what you brought up beautifully, uh, Michael, among many other points that you say um, that are impactful is the criticism. And this is the this is like the pot of gold for for narcissists and those with narcissistic tendencies. It's the manipulation, it's the codependency, and the criticism. The criticism to break you down, the criticism to make you feel less than, the criticism to make you feel insecure in order to know that you need them. You can't live without them. Your life is worthless without them. Nobody will love you without them loving you. And when you're stuck in that cycle, that becomes a weapon. And the solution to raising children to combat narcissistic tendencies, I don't know about narcissism. I'm not 
that, you know, I'm not that well trained, but as narcissistic tendencies go, the, the, the tool is to create a sense of belonging in a network, in a community. So it's not just me against the world, it's us together, teamwork. The other one is empathy. And I cannot stress this enough, especially in our young boys, to know that there is more to life than just what he's feeling. And note, this is age appropriate. If they're young and younger than 10 or 11, where they're not cognitively ready, so pay attention to that. Don't expect something that isn't possible, but still like implement sharing at three or four until they're ready at five. And then really talk to them about, oh, this really hurt your friend when you did this. Why do you think you did that? And really explain to them the impact of emotions and the impact of, of acting out based on those emotions in an unhealthy way. But when they get to 10 or 11 and they're cognitively ready, you've already laid down the foundation. So you can give them a heavier dose of what empathy is about, about feeling bad when you hurt someone or you say something rude to someone, or you don't take into consideration someone's feelings or thoughts or, or uh, impressions about things, even in just simple dialogue, when you cut someone off. These are things that we can invest in raising our children with these skill sets and being open-minded to differences, not wanting to be perfect in everything. Success is not defined only by a tick box or a check box as they say in other parts of the world. It's about viewing ourselves as a collective community. And when we take out that I am me, myself and I, and there's nothing more important, that grandiosity diminishes, that criticism and rudeness and abrasive verbal vomit that happens when one is angry, when we, when we teach our children how to handle, not manage necessarily, but handle or suppress, to handle their emotions, to express them openly and not punish them for expressing them, obviously in, an, in a healthy way, then we're creating the foundation for, for children to really thrive and be healthy in our society today and with their loved ones and in their own lives. Because when we replicate these, these characteristics in our lives with them, they'll mirror those characteristics. Remember, it all starts from mirroring. So if we parent, reparent ourselves to be the best version of ourselves while we're parenting our children and accept mistakes, like I know I tell my son, you know what? I made a mistake yesterday. And what do we know about mistakes? And I'll explain what the mistake was and what my thought process, um, the breakdown in my thought process was. And I'll say, what do we believe about mistakes? And he'll laugh at me and he goes, mistakes are opportunities for growth and learning. And I said, that's my baby. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's a motto for life. So many mistakes happened in society and turned out to be inventions, like yeah. the light bulb. Yep. Michael, I'm off my soapbox. Go on. <laughs> no, I, I agree 100%. But, um, you know, like I say, just do not concern, become concerned with, you know, pride in your appearance, pride in your achievements. Um, actual real real cognitive things that exist but when you've got to manufacture it when it's when you're scared of being seen for who you are that's when it becomes a problem and that's why they become so controlling and and domineering and things become possessions and props to further their little 
charade. And a lot of them, they're not cognitively aware of the issue or their behaviours. It's just, uh, it, it's become their internal sat-nav, their default operating system. And they're attracted to people that they can manipulate. And, you know, one of the narcissistic traits can be when they have a go at you about your appearance, because it's not about your appearance, it's how you make them look. Because, you know, if you're put on weight and they think that people are going to judge them. Them, exactly. Yeah, judge them, not you. So, again, you know, we, we love the person. We don't love the the shell that they, they go around in. So, you know, weight's not a problem. But if you find yourself rebelling against him by going, right, well, I'm just going to put on some more weight because then I've got some control over causing him a little bit of discomfort, then you need to, to stop stop doing that as well. But, you know, I see it a lot where guys will say to me, especially over the years when I've owned gyms, I want to buy my wife a gym membership because she's put on weight. I say, mate, you know, I don't mean to be rude, but you know Slim Jim yourself and, you know, it's just, you know, unless you're going to come in with her and it's going to be something you're going to do as a couple, I really wouldn't do it because I've never seen it end well. Do you know how sexy that is? For a man to say, I bought us a membership. Yeah, because I need to get in shape and this would be a way where we could spend time together. What do you think? Because I really want to go to the gym and I need some support because I know I won't do it on my own. But if we both go, we could go before dinner, after dinner, in the work, on the weekends, then we can hold each other accountable. Exactly. And don't make it about the weight. Make it about, you know, we're not getting any younger. I'm running out of energy. You know, I feel like... I'm letting you down because I get home from work and I don't have energy. I just want to collapse on the couch. So I want to build more stamina. Yeah. Do you think that never goes wrong? We could do together. Exactly. And if she says, no, I'm uncomfortable, then try again with another thing. Well, what about we walk regularly together? You know, like after dinner every night, let's get out for a 30 minute walk in nature. And again, you might get knocked back for that. I want to do something to, and if she turns around and says, no, you're on your own, well, at least you didn't go out and put a real wedge in the relationship by buying her the thing. And I actually used to say to guys, mate, you come in together rather than do this, I'll give you two for the one for the price of the membership. So I'll sign you both up, but you've got to come in together because it will not end well. And so a lot of narcissists are worried about how they appear because of the partner they have. I think that's also leads to a lot of, or can be one of the reasons or a contributing factor for some relationship um, infidelities as well. You know, my wife doesn't appreciate me. You think I'm wonderful. So it boosts up my narcissistic image of the world. So, you know, but I need to keep my wife because I need to keep my image up as well. And, you know, a lot of men, will then be stupid enough and have that lower moral compass that then they will brag to their friends about, oh, I got this girl on the side, you know, the wife doesn't know about it. And it's just, you know, you're kidding. So, you know, you want to bring your wife out to a function and go, 
this is the one I'm married to. You've all met the other one that I'm having an affair with. And what do you think that's painting her as and you as as well? And I've seen it happen so much. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. And the thing that, that I guess gets lost in translation is her honor is his honor and his honor is her honor. So together, if one dishonors the other, they're dishonoring both. Is that really worth it? Just for a thing on the side? And how many things on the side ever become the wife? Not many. And that's the and thing. The ones, the ones yeah. that do, that's why I don't understand it so. So he's prepared to do that to her, but he would never, ever do that to me, surely. And it's like, how can you ever um, trust somebody? And that's, that's what I use. standard, and we talked about that one. That's why I usually say to guys, you know, if, if you leave beforehand and do it right, you know, honorably. Yep, we've drifted apart, and you know that's why I say that's why I don't get a waterbed because I'm worried we might drift apart. The, you know, and and you've talked through it and reasonably, and you can part amicably, and then you find somebody, you've still got your honor. You've done the right thing. If you do the wrong thing beforehand and go, well, I've got one now, so I can leave the other one. How can you possibly? It's take not two flavors the, of ice cream. It's just yeah. not the same. Yep, it just shouldn't have started. So, you know, how how can something end well that should never have started? Uh, with that one, Michael. Sorry. We drifted off topic a bit there. Uh, no worries. I mean, it's all in the concept of tendencies that yeah. we may have as men or women. And being aware of them because they are red flags to create cracks in relationships, as we've talked about before, healthy and unhealthy relationships. And we've also mentioned, you know, the the toxicity of masculinity and femininity. So this is what we're talking about. These are the red flags to look for. So safeguard yourselves, safeguard, you know, your loved ones. Talk about this. Don't make it this hush-hush topic because then nobody will know and when nobody knows asking for support and asking for help is that much harder so know that when you speak out when you verbalize what's going on to the right people ask for support as a man ask for support as a woman supporting your man work together as a team and that's where it becomes teamwork instead of my work and then Nobody else cares about their work. These are conversation starters with blokes, their children, and women that support them. It's about many men, many conversations. Follow, like, and share us. Also, don't hesitate to comment below regarding today's questions. What safeguards are you putting in place to ensure you eradicate any narcissistic tendencies you may find that you may have? And how are you choosing to recognize red flags before jumping into a new relationship? How long are you willing to wait? before getting intimate to really know the person that you're getting intimate with. Until next time, see you guys. Bye everyone.